Almighty God, this day many of us have entered this place with hope for a new year, and yet also carrying many heavy burdens. Whatever our struggles, may we see them in the light of your word and in the light of your identity, O Father, who tenderly loves all his children, who trust in his Son, Jesus Christ, by faith. May we, your children, fall into your embrace, into your holy word. Now we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When Christy and I, soon after we got married and we moved to Louisiana uh, for our uh, initial dive into the teaching world, uh, one of the, that was a, a very um, huge paradigm shift in, in terms of culture, uh, because we were in the middle of Cajun country, uh, so along with the food and everything, there were also uh, different expressions and so on that we had to get used to. Uh, one, for example, whenever uh, someone in that region wants you to come here, they want to speak to you, they don't say, come here. They say, come see. Uh, which was rather novel. Uh, there, there, was, there was something fresh and dynamic about that, rather intriguing. And yet the longer we stayed in Louisiana, the more we got used to it, and so the dynamic of it faded over time. And some things about the love of God towards his children, from the time that you recognize you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and, and you might say or express, I have God as my father, uh, that, that is very dynamic and fresh. But there is something about the journey of faith, uh, or not intrinsic in it, but just because we're fallen people going through it, that that sort of dynamic feeling may fade over time as well. Well, part of today uh, is, is to stem that tide, to do so in our epistle passage today from Ephesians, which I believe you can find on page 7 of your bulletin. Uh, and we're not going to be looking at the whole passage, but focusing on verses 3 through 7 of chapter 4. Uh, and particularly with this matter of being adopted as God's Children. Adoption isn't a word that comes up very often in the scriptures, but nonetheless, J.I. Packer, the late Anglican theologian, called adoption the highest privilege of the gospel. Those who are God's children are given justified standing to be in God's presence by God's free unmerited grace given through faith in Jesus Christ. But we might ask, what is there anything that flows from that? What is the ongoing impact in my own life? Perhaps you wonder, does that hold? Will that always be mine? Can this, having God as my Father, be as good as I dare to dream to be truly adopted into God's spiritual family? And part of what flows out of this passage uh, in Galatians is that if we see our adoption through the work of Christ more clearly, then we might be encouraged to go on in hope by the love of our Father God. So there, there are two, two things that work as hinges on each other here. 
And the first, beginning in verse 3, we see a developing situation uh, in which our adoption occurs. Uh, that, that it happens in space and time, but there are elements about ourselves uh, there, that are at play. First of all, in verse 3, uh, Paul says, in the same way, he's referring back to the context of, the, of what Sarah read earlier, we also, when we were children, were enslaved. We are imprisoned to the elementary principles of the world. Uh, meaning the things that, that bar us uh, from, from, from connection and relationship to God, the weight of our sins and our shortcomings. And, and earlier in Galatians 3 and later in Galatians 4, he's dealing with two sets of people, those who, who look to following the law of God as a way to gain favor with God. He says that doesn't work. Uh, but also those who are coming uh, in that culture out of paganism and, and all the debauchery and, and the desires that they would feed on in rebellion against God. He says that doesn't work either. He, uh, Paul is pointing out that both those who seek to live deserving, admirable lives to earn our place with God are imprisoned by sin. And those of us who disdain and rebel against God's kingdom, also imprisoned by sin. That is where we are, and that's where the work of adoption stunningly begins. But also, Paul brings up the timing of this. It's really quite exquisite when God starts working in this in history. In verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come. That's not the only time in Scripture this is used, uh, but, uh, but, but he's using it here. God sent forth his Son. And, and that's a very nondescript phrase, but, but it's packed with so much historical meaning because what Paul is getting at is, listen, at a time when the Mediterranean world was united under a common conversational tongue where Greek was someone's either first or a good solid second language. When peace uh, in that empire, relatively so, was conducive to the spread of the Christian faith. Uh, that the transport system and highways also conducive to the spread of Christianity. At that time, a census directed by Caesar somehow lands a young Hebrew newly married couple in Bethlehem so the prophecy of the chosen redeemer could come true. Paul saying God directs world events by the force of his power and he readied people and cultures for the arrival of his son who would draw many people into God's family. And establish God as their father, the impeccable timing. And also, there's the matter of our great need uh, is another scenario. Because Jesus is one who is born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Translation about born of woman, born under the law. He's saying Christ became human. And Jesus didn't have to leave heaven. Second person of the Trinity. He, but he became the God-man to keep the moral code that we are incapable of keeping. And that he died the death that was a perfect sacrifice for our sin. 
and our and, and what we deserved. Because humans are responsible, we're on the hook for this, but only God is capable for perfect obedience. And so Jesus specifically, his work meets that need so we can be adopted. It sets all that in motion. It's really a perfect fit in, in this scenario. We love it when something just fits perfectly. Uh, there, there was one time that I was saying it was back well before the summer and things were the weather was warming up. That seems like a long time ago, given the events of today. But um, it was going through Walmart, and uh, my granddaughter Tori was in the cart with me, and I didn't want her going barefoot at the park at the splash pad, so I was looking for water shoes uh, that you just sort of slip on and strap on, and she could kind of run around and get, still get them wet in the water. And there was hardly anything there. They were either too big or, you know, there was just nothing and then we go into the, the toddler section look, looking in desperation. Then all of a sudden there was one pair in all of Walmart. And, and I hate going to Walmart. It's, it's, like my, it's like my second home. But there they were. I was like, oh, please, Lord, please, Lord, please. I was praying for water shoes. You know, you know how, how, how horrible that sounds. But, and they fit perfectly. The one pair. They were capable. They were a perfect fit. And she, and she loved them. And, and it's, it's this, in this situation of our imprisonment in sin, of the timing that God sends Jesus into the world to meet our greatest need, all those things come together, perfectly dovetailing, that our hope of even being adopted by God in Christ begins. By the way, that's not just an amazing fit from years ago. It has ongoing meaning for us every day. It means that you are brought into God's family in spite of the distance between he and you. No matter how deep in the prison of your sin that you may find yourself, he refuses to let that be a barrier. And because God will not allow that to be a barrier, then you can have full confidence and hope that your Father will do anything for you. It means that we can have hope that if God knows the right time to have His Son Jesus enter the world, He probably knows the timing of when to give you the good things you truly need in your life. And if you get them, if he grants them to you, wonderful. And if he doesn't, if there's a delay, then you'll manage. But you can trust God to know the timing in your life because he knew the timing for Jesus' entry on a grand scale. And if God has provided for your greatest need to rescue you from the clutches of sin, then, we can have confidence he will provide for all our smaller and ordinary and mundane needs as his adopted children. Nothing is outside the reach of his arm. Nothing is outside the extent of his sovereign goodness, all of which should encourage us and give us great hope. So that is the scenario in which it happens, but we also find in the second part of this passage, the security that our adoption brings. Uh, the second part of verse 5 speaks of how we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, this, uh, this is speaking to a new relationship 
uh, in which we find our security and our hope. Note that there's a key word in there, so that we might receive adoption. If there is one thing that is the hallmark of so many endeavors and so many worldviews and all other religions on the planet, it is that you try to achieve recognition or status or hope. And here, instead of achieve, this is a relationship we receive, one in which God wants us. Paul seems to say, God delights in us. He hounds us. He pursues us. We are not pursuing him. He's coming to us. We also have, in verse 6, new access. Not just a new relationship, but within the arena of that relationship with God, we have new access. Uh, Paul says, because you are sons, Understand, when Paul means says sons, he's meaning sons and daughters, children of God. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This should blow all of our minds because what Paul is saying is that God sending his spirit into our very lives unleashes us to address God in the same way Jesus did while he was on earth. It means we are given that sort of status as God's children. Do you, do you see yourself having that status? Do, do, do you see that as having that same access as, as, as Jesus it, 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 this is hard to fathom for, for many of us because this can get into all sorts of psychological tangles from our past. It, it, can, it can be very hard to swallow because for some of us, our biological fathers were not who we needed them to be. Maybe your father or your male guardian, whoever it was, had a dicey, or absent or abusive relationship, and rather than unleashing love and care upon you, it was it, it was absolutely dreadful. And when, when you read or see a passage like this, you ha- you can call God Abba, the Aramaic word for Father, Father dear. It brings up memories that, where you may feel like it's you're walking on broken glass. It, it brings up visceral reactions. Or you're like, that's not my story. I had a friend um, back in seminary days who had difficulty getting past the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. Could not say, our Father, because of the relationship with his Father. It happens. And yet what this passage is pointing out is that the judge of the earth who no longer counts your sin against you is also the father whose heart beats for you. And what this should show us is parts of the evidence. Oh, If we're asking, is the Holy Spirit really at work in my life as a follower of Jesus? That can be traced to how much you think of God as your Father. Because those two, two things work in harmony. Again, coming back to J.I. Packer, that you're going to feel like this is beating a drum uh, often. 
But he says to be forgiven by God, the judge is great. To be loved by God, the Father, is even greater. And the joy is it's the same person. And we're also, as Paul wraps this up, given a new identity. Even in the best of families, even the most functional, wonderful, warm families, the flaws of fathers are evident. And if you don't believe that, ask the wives of those fathers. Okay, they'll have a list ready to go. Okay, and, and you know, we, we as, as a father myself, we, we need to keep grounded and need to keep humble. But here we have a father who is entirely wise, who is entirely generous. Uh, you, you are no longer a slave. You're no longer at that status imprisoned. You are a son. And if you're a son you're a, or a child, a daughter, son, daughter, child, you're an heir. You, are, you inherit, as Ephesians 1 says, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Your position, your blessing, your hope is permanently secured. I was talking to a colleague at, um, at Westminster recently, my friend Howard, a number of years ago, um, I don't know, about uh, uh, 13, 14 years ago, uh, Howard and his wife, they were in their 40s at that time, and they hadn't managed to have children. And uh, they managed to go through, um, uh, I, th- I think, Lutheran uh, adoption services, and uh, they, they became the adopted parents uh, of a three- or four-year-old at that time, African-American boy named Isaiah. Uh, who had endured a good bit of abandonment uh, and uh, and disdain uh, from we might say from his biological mother um, and foster care really hadn't worked out and and so uh, Howard and Pamela uh, were able to adopt Isaiah and I asked Howard I sat down with him and I said what what is it that you want Isaiah to know the most. Coming from you as a father, and Howard said, I would hope that in everything I do and everything I say that Isaiah knows I am his advocate. That, that my actions and my words speak that the, the words, Isaiah, I delight in you. I love you. I am for you. I take joy in you, and that is never going to fade. Now, that's a human father with all of his flaws saying that. And if we think about the perfect father, our heavenly father, think about how much grander and unfading and wonderful his stance towards us might be. Now, that's what Paul says here in Galatians. We might ask, how do we pull this into ourselves? Well, we could consider that it transforms our everyday approach because if God truly delights in you, then maybe that will transform or continue to transform yours and my desire to imitate God, to honor God, to please God. It's not something we have to achieve. It's not something we have to garner ourselves. It's not something we have to gain. Not notches on our belts to co- or something we do to cause our Heavenly Father to be pleased with us more, but because He is already pleased with His children. When you wake up in the morning, 
Do you think my heavenly Father is smiling warmly upon me? That can transform your whole day. It can transform your prayer life. There's no convincing that you need to do to have God listen to your prayers. If we call God our Father just as Jesus Himself did, it means that you are always in the throne room of your tender Father King. You don't need to beckon Him. You have a King who says, I'm your Father. Just talk to me. I'm already listening. I know. And it transforms our future. Not only are hope and inheritance secure, but because why they're secure. God cannot be diminished. God cannot be lessened. His fatherly love, therefore, is unfading and does not wither away. And this means that when your hope, when your identity is set upon Christ, the Father who sent Christ into your, this world, you find everything in Him. It means that it, you don't have to set your hope or your identity on anything else, on adulation, on career, on financial portfolio, or whatever. And it's then that we come to see that J.R.R. Tolkien was correct in the two towers when he said the praise of the praiseworthy is beyond all rewards. The one who is most praiseworthy, God himself, delights in us. No other hope is needed because in Christ, your heavenly Father gives you everything. So this leaves us, ultimately, as part of a story of hope. And just, I'm going to take a gamble here, but in pulling this together, perhaps a thought exercise might help. You know, as the kids, we sometimes would say, let's play pretend. Well, let's do that here. I want you to imagine that you are a soldier in a massive battalion and your group, your nation has gone to war against a king whom you hate. You just absolutely despise him with every fiber of your being. And the battle goes on. It rages over several days and one thing becomes clear. You're badly wounded. Your side has lost. And not only has your side lost, but you can't figure out where you are. You're in a dense forest. You don't know your way out. And in wandering around, you fall into a pit and you get badly injured even more. You haven't eaten for days. You haven't drank for a while. And you know that this is the end. You're on the verge of death. And then as you lie Sparing in that pit, all of a sudden a face appears at the top. A kind face, one with dancing eyes and a smile that would light up the world. And he reaches in and he pulls you out. And in shock and surprise, you realize this isn't just a soldier. This isn't just a soldier on the other side you've been fighting against. 
This is the king. The king has pulled you out. And the next thing you hear the king saying is, you're injured. You've hurt yourself. Let's get you to where you can be healed. And stunned, you are taken by the hand by this king into his castle. And there's a victory feast going on because, after all, the king's side has just won a battle. So that's what you do in military cultures. He says, sit here, sit at this table. And all of a sudden, food is placed before you. It's the greatest feast you've ever had in your life, let alone after you've been starving for many days in battle. And nervously you eat it first, and then all of a sudden you just start piling it down. It's just the most glorious meal you've ever had. And then you start feeling, I've overstayed my welcome. I don't belong here. You get up to leave, and a hand presses down on your shoulder. It's the king again. He says, where are you going? Where do you think you're going? You say, well, I've eaten. I've lost. And I, I lost because I was on the side that hated you. I don't belong here. And the king says, no, 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 no. You wait. That, that's dealt with. I've forgiven you for that. You're like, what about this meal? He's like, you're, you're, this is your meal. And you can stay here forever. You will stay here forever. I want you to stay here forever. And eat at my table. And your mouth forms a monosyllabic response. Why? To which the king says, because now you are family. J.I. Packer, again, entirely right. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. In it, he says, the traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. To have a king like that, to have a father like that, should fill us with enduring hope as we go on following him. May it be so. Father God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus in the fullness of time so that those whom you seek might throw down their weapons and run to your embrace that will never lose strength. May we more and more seek and love you as our Father and be filled with all hope for our future days in you. This prayer we make in the strength of the Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior and most certainly our brother as well. Amen.